Last summer, the New York Times Magazine published a special issue entitled The 1619 Project, marking the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first African slaves in Virginia. The backlash was not long in coming. Some historians, people who are well acquainted with the historical record, claimed that the authors had misrepresented events to fit their own narrative. Talking heads on cable news, people who were well acquainted mostly with their own righteous indignation, claimed that the entire idea was anti-American. One sitting U.S. Senator went so far as to say the Times Magazine had become an American Pravda. If you understand this as an argument about historical facts, the story about an event that happened four centuries ago, then this whole argument seems kind of strange. There are dozens of history books and articles published every day which are meant with little comment or fanfare. But it's really not an argument about historical facts. It's an argument about our beginnings. Jake Silverstein, the editor of the magazine, even made this explicit when he said that, quote, it is the country's very origin. We know origins matter. The stories we tell about where we came from have an enormous influence on how we construct our identities. We know if we want to understand who we are as people today, then we go back to the beginning to see where we came from. When we want to understand our country, we interrogate the values that it was supposedly founded on. When we want to understand our families, we track down information about our ancestors. And when we want to understand our faith, we go back to how people in the early church did things. And so it is with Genesis. When we want to understand who we are, when we want to get down to basics, we go back to the garden. And those two creation stories are important for us, not because they explain everything, but because they tell us the most important thing. This is actually kind of a nice fit for Lent when we strip down our liturgy and our sanctuary so that the most essential things become more evident. So what are the most fundamental things we can say about God? And what are the most fundamental things we can say about being human? Let's do God first. One of the things that's unusual about this creation story, a story that's all about who God is, is that God is never described in the story. The whole story is narrated in the third person, but at no point does the narrator step back and tell us what God is like. If someone asked us to tell them about what God was like, what kind of God we believe in, we would do the exact opposite. We'd say something like, God is loving and God is just and God is caring. And you might even tell a story about how God acts in a way that reveals that. God is nice, and Jesus was often nice to people, so that shows how nice God is. The author of this Genesis story flips that backwards. And instead of describing God in general terms, God acts. God formed man from the dust of the ground. God planted a garden in Eden. God made to grow every tree. So we know about who God is because of how God acts. So instead of starting with any preconceived ideas about what God should be like, we start with what God actually does. The upshot of this, the reason this is important, is that God is never addressed as an it. 
There's never a point in the story where you can step outside it and say, I'm going to be a neutral observer on this whole thing and just think about God in theory. Because as soon as the author starts talking about God's actions, God planted, God formed, God grew, they're saying this is a story that you are involved in. This is not just a story, this is your story. Which means God is never an it for us. God is always a you. And that means we learn something new about ourselves. What are we told about humans in this story? You notice humans are also never described. We're not told anything about eyes or elbows, brains or even souls, or any of the things we normally think make us human. We're told that God takes the human, the Adma, this person, and puts them in the garden to till it and to keep it. So the important thing, the most basic thing we can say about people is that they have a a purpose. They exist for something. We exist to participate in God's act of creation. So in a very fundamental way, humans are like God. God acts, and humans are invited to participate in that same action. But that way of being like God isn't super fun. Sharing God's action, God's vocation, means you have to be responsible for the welfare of other people. It means you have to care for the environment. It means you have to live in creation instead of just on top of it. The garden is good and it's all you need to live, but it would be even better if you could eat from the tree of knowledge, which, as it just so happens, is right in the middle of the whole thing. And how does the snake put it? Eat the fruit of the tree and you will become like God. The snake, who's the only character who's described by the narrator in the story, tricks Adam and Eve, but the snake doesn't trick them into eating the fruit. The snake tricks them into thinking they aren't like God to begin with. That the way they are like God isn't good enough. That just sharing God's vocation, God's action, God's purpose isn't enough The way you want to be like God is by having access to everything. It shouldn't be lost on us that in this story, paradise is lost when people decide they should be entitled to everything. If there's power to be had, it must be for me, no matter who has none. If there are resources to be taken from the earth, they must be extracted no matter the cost. If other people have labor, it must be gotten for me no matter the price. How many of our social, ecological, and economic crises are fundamentally about us overreaching? God gives us something good, and we say, eh, it's actually not that great. We could do better. When we ignore the story, we repeat all of its mistakes, and we try to become like God in all of the wrong ways. One of the tragedies of American religious history over the past 150 years or so is that we made this story, which is of universal importance for all of us, and we've turned it into a theological wedge issue. Evangelicals have made this story a litmus test for who the true believers are, sign on the dotted line or first train to hell. And we mainline Protestants have responded mostly by dunking on evangelicals, because it makes us feel intellectually superior, and let's be honest, it's kind of fun. (laughs) 
But by going out of our way not to take this story literally, we often fail to take it seriously. And so we miss the gift that God gives us in this story, the most fundamental thing about us, which is that the thing that makes us human is not something we have to come up with or invent for ourselves, but the invitation to join in God's ongoing work, God's ongoing act of creation. This means we never have to justify our relevance or worth by our economic productivity, by our social standing, or our cultural relevance. What makes us human isn't contingent on other people that comes from God. That's our beginning. That's our origin story. It's a story about Adam and Eve, who, let's get one more dunk in, didn't exist, except that they exist in and among each one of us. It's not just their story, it's our story. The story of where we came from and the story of where we're going. So become like God, but stay human. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.